Not that my guest needs any introduction, but if I must come up with one, I'm simply going to say that Uwe Boll is a famous, or maybe I should say infamous, German filmmaker who's directed and produced more than 30 films and is quite unique and frankly unbelievable career. Uwe, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. I'll start with a surprising little anecdote, which okay. is that you and I have met before. Of course, you won't remember because it wasn't a particularly memorable encounter for you. But 14 years ago, you came to a film festival in Slovenia, which is called Grossman's Fantastic Film and Wine Festival. Yes, it's a small but really cute thing. And yeah. yeah, I attended it. I believe it was 2010. You were there with your film Rampage. And before the film was shown, you gave a little talk. And then I asked you if we can take a picture together. And I actually found the photo just before the interview. I will <laughs> include it in the YouTube video of this conversation if people want to laugh at my stupid haircut that I sported back then. Um, but I wasn't the only one who was kind of almost starstruck you know you were absolutely the main thing at the festival there and people love the fact that you showed up anyway uh, we're going to talk about rampage later but i couldn't not mention this uh, delicious little piece of trivia no that's cool and i remember the festival actually now that you said it i it, it, this time i was in a lot of fast film festivals actually and uh, you never know how they turn out right so you have some small festivals that turn out very very good and you have also some festivals you think they're good, then you go there and you're like, oh, fuck, why, why I ever came here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm happy that you remember it because it was the only time that I attended that festival um, and you were there. It was really cool. Um, but let's maybe bring it back to the beginning. I believe you were born in West Germany in 1965. Yeah. You go to university, you actually complete a PhD in literature from the University of Siegen. So yeah. you kind of start in academia almost. But what was the thing, or maybe it was a film that you've seen, that left such an impact that made you go into filmmaking instead? I mean, the whole uh, literature, uh, university, whatever, was my fallback. You know, I always wanted to make films since I was 10 and I did like super eight millimeter stuff and 16 millimeter later video. And uh, so we, uh, Frank Lustig and me, my partner at that time, he wanted to make films too. And it was in my same school as me. So uh, we chased the same dream. And it was definitely in my case, more, more like the Hollywood films, like Mutinity, Mutinity of the Bounty or Western, like with John Wayne and stuff like this, where I felt the film is great adventure. And uh, I want to make films in general. So, but in Germany at that time, there were only two film schools in Munich and Berlin. And they didn't took me. They took only like 15 people per year. So I made the decision. Yeah, standard, standard film academy stuff, right? Yeah. So if you have no contacts there, yeah. whatever, like you're not getting in. And then I started in Cologne, what is close to my hometown, um, first like economy and literature and stuff like this to be a teacher or a journalist in the end if I never get a hold into the film industry. So, uh, and during that university time, uh, we shot German frat movie, the first film, 1991, uh, Frank Lustig and me, like on 35 millimeters and 16 millimeter mixed. And then we blowed up the 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter in the end. Uh, and released it on some screens. And that made it like made us being in a way part of the film industry because we sold the DVD rights, the v VHS tape rights at that point and uh, got a little into the business, let's say it this way, on a small scale. But uh, And then it evolved from there. So many people dream about making a film their whole lives, but the opt obstacles just prove too big or the whole thing is just too daunting and you don't know how to assemble the crew in the beginning, where to get the money. I mean, when you start to seriously think about it, the whole thing just becomes an enormous headache, no matter how much you love movies. And most people simply quit right there and then. We've all seen it a million times. Yeah. How did you manage to make that very first film as a student and where'd you get the budget? Where'd you get the money for it? 
Yeah, so we we there were two strategic ideas. I was a fan of Kentucky Fried movie from uh, uh, Zucker Abrams Zucker. It was like kind of the guys that did Naked Gun and whatever, because it oh. was a compilation yeah. film, right? So you could shoot a film, a scene with some actors. You shoot it for one day, and you never need that actors again, and you never need the scene again. You just had we had a guy watching TV and switching channels in the film. So what was clever? Because so we didn't need an actors for a long time. So every actor in the film got no money because we convinced them from acting schools and from TV shows like, okay, give us one day for free. Give us one day for free. So they played for free. And then we had, we found a camera guy in from Cologne, Richard Eckes, who did, who had camera equipment and an editing table, a Steinbeck editing table. At that time, film was more complicated to do because you had to shoot it on film. And you had the lab, we had yeah. the lab and all that stuff and the film material. So we also got film material from Aqua and Kodak and Fuji mixed up like at, as test film material for free. <laughs> you know, like so we really yeah. line nine months for German Fright movie. And we shot a day there, and then two weeks we did nothing. We tried to prepare the next shoot, and then we shot another scene and another scene. We acted in the film, we were our own. Uh, art directors, we never had, we did everything basically, right? There was no costume designer and so on. Uh, people had no makeup. And, and, uh, but that is, I think, the best way to learn to make a film is to go through the whole process from the prep to the filming to the post production to, okay, here's the film. And uh, you need a lot of like persistence, endurance to, to do this. You have to be kind of fanatic, uh, like, no, I really want to do this. And that is the, the, the center of my life to make that film work. Even if we both studied still, we both, uh, he was a very good soccer player. I was a very good handball player. We played in different, you know, like we were, we were not giving up all our hobbies and the rest of our lives, but we got the film together. And uh, I think the cash costs were 60,000 marks at that point. Would be like thirty. Oh, I mean, that's a that's a lot of money for a student. Yes, but we were also able uh, to raise some money with friends from like Frank from from him. Mostly, my parents uh, invested nothing, but I had ten thousand savings, so I had ten thousand. I think he had ten thousand, and we raised forty thousand from some people, like from his family friends, but also from an internet, but not internet, like a guy who was a professional in getting you investors. And we pitched that project to him and said, can you get us 20 grand, 30 grand? And he did a send out, like a mail out to his his investors. And they were normally investing in houses and whatever, right? So never in the film. But because it was so- <laughs> Also not film people at all. No, but it was so small, uh, you know, like 5,000 marks. So I think we got four investors from him, each 5,000 marks. Uh, and, um, yeah, they didn't get any money back, but, <laughs> but I think they never expected to really get the money back. Uh, it was more like kind of a sponsoring, you know, and we went to a car dealership. I remember Zeat, uh, from, uh, you know, and we got like free rental cars for a few weeks and put them in the film. So you see in the film, various product placement things, geo chips, uh, you know, like we got like a five hundred bags of chew chips, and we had them at, as catering. You know, like like here, eat more chips, guys, right? And I got also vouchers from McDonald's. So I I contacted McDonald's and say, look, we can show McDonald's in our film at one point in the back, and they had no clue what we were shooting. And I think they they gave me that vouchers like two bucks each, like a whole staple of it, like a few thousand bucks in McDonald's vouchers, and. Because they didn't really care. It was not a big investment, right? That they just sent me this as a marketing thing. But look, 2000 bucks at McDonald's was for us like seven, eight, nine days of full catering for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, of course, this kind of production, the real, real indie, no budget, super low budget production, people cannot be picky. They know who's in a film like this or works on a film like this. They're not getting pampered 
you know, so, you know, all the girls in the film, we said to them, do your own makeup. I mean, we, we don't have any makeup artists or whatever, like, uh, well, however you do yourself, that is how you will look like. So, and uh, it's funny enough that after now, when in, in today's time, when you compare it, it got so much cheaper to shoot a professional film, right? So because you can shoot even with your cell phone on 4K, and have like a super good yeah. picture in a way to you, you barely need great equipment. And you also don't like the last few films I did with digital. Uh, I didn't did makeup or hair or whatever. I said, also, I give a shit. Like, and nobody cares. There's, there was, there's so much things in the big film world. What is all like this kind of bullshit around to spend the maximum amount of money? You know, a hair and makeup truck and everybody sits there and gets like nothing done. They're looking exactly the same when coming out of the truck uh, as before. So I think it's uh, it's in a way it goes back now to the real, for a lot of people, more independent days where you can make proper product for very small money. Yeah, I think it was years ago already where there was a feature film that actually was quite successful at the festival circuit. I think it was called Tangerine that was just shot with two iPhones or something. I haven't seen it, but yeah, apparently I it was pretty name. good. I didn't watch the two, but I, I remember the name. Yeah. And yeah. even though Steven Soderbergh shot some stuff with iPhones. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, the way, I mean, of course you have then the professional sound guy was that you're not shooting the sound with the iPhone, but the picture if you frame it right or you put it on a little steady cam or a gimbal camera, whatever, like you can with an iPhone shoot uh, very good material. You just need an external hard drive to save it because yeah. I mean, if you shoot 4K, your iPhone will be very fast full. So you need, you need uh, um, the data transfer the whole time. When it comes to your taste in movies, what kind of films do you like? What are some of Uwe Boll's most beloved titles of all time? They don't have to be ordered or ranked, just from the top of your head. What comes to mind? Yeah, for example, Jaws, uh, uh, Escape from New York, Dances with Wolves, but also older, older films. Like I like Western, Rio Bravo, El Dorado, like this kind of Western I really liked. Um, and um, I mean, it's a mix, right? I think... Uh, in, interesting is when I see now who gets the prizes right now in the US, like the, the, the Golden Globes and whatever, right? And most of the TV shows... Yeah, the Oppenheimers and... Yes. Okay. So, and, yep. um, I didn't watch Oppenheimers so far. I will watch it soon. I went digit like at home. I, uh, I didn't make it to the, the movies. I also didn't watch Barbie because I just couldn't do that to me. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Barbie's yeah. not a bad film or it's a satire, but I'm just not really into this stuff but uh the the tv series they're getting all the prices uh when i zapped through the channels and the, the streamers i watched them all and i liked them all when i watched the bear on disney plus about the cooking the chef guy whatever it's it's the a chef yeah yes yeah uh, no the bear is the title with jeremy allen white he won. yeah yeah but it's about the chef right yeah. And because I had the restaurant yeah. in Vancouver, I could totally identify. My wife and I watched it, and we were laying there in the bed, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's exactly the same shit we went through." You know, like you have like drug addicted chef, the people don't come, the food is bad, the, the fridge doesn't work, whatever. So, and we we loved the bear and watched the first two seasons, and boom, now it gets all the prices, right? And then we watched also Beef on Netflix with Ali Wong, like with the Chinese guys who fight. Yeah, I haven't seen it. But that is that is a great yeah, show. Yeah. But it was the same thing. So we gave it a shot. And a lot of a lot of films, I have to say, I switch off. A lot of TV series, I switch off. I watch five minutes. I say, no, I'm not doing that to me. Forget it. I, say, I don't give it the, the, the whole eight episodes or whatever. But that, the yeah. beef I watched also completely, almost binge watch. I love that show. And boom, it wins all the pricing. Succession wins all the pricing. A show I love. The, uh, you know, you better call Soul or Breaking Bad, shows I love, Ozark I love. So, um, so a lot of, oh, Yellowstone now I really like with Kevin Costner. So it's, you know, like the, the, these are shows like where now it's all mixed up. You have TV series and films uh, you like. And 
um, in films, it got harder and harder and harder to really love a film. I think the last 10, 15 mm. years were uh, film-wise, when you see who runs for the Oscars, uh, a joke. I mean, there are like, I mean, think about La La Wood or La La Land or whatever, Moonlight uh, or Everyone's Everywhere All at Once, the winner from last year. That, was, that film was total crap. I, I, I didn't like it. I think it was an overdrive <laughs> TikTok video. And uh, compare this to French Connection, Raging Bull, The Goodfellas, The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter. That were films, you know, uh, Ronin. Heat from Michael Mann. That are all films I love. You know, like more like this kind of existential, uh, like films that hit you hard in a way. Um, and they are kind of genre, but they are more as genre. You know, compare Heat with De Niro and, and, and Pacino uh, with a normal action film, like a Michael Bay, The Rock action film, whatever. So in, in Heat is something additional. It's just better. You know, it really gets you, even if it's just a genre film. Ronin was the same, uh, you know, or Leon, like The Professional from Luc Besson with Jean Reno. There was something extra in it, what made that films uh, just great. So, you know, and I always look out for films where I, where I watch them and, and say after, like, wow, that was a real heavy hitter and I, I really loved them. But the last five, six, seven years, that goes less and less. I, I, I find films like this less and less. And I see more TV series where I say, look, that is really good. I really like it, you know. Maybe also because they spend more time for the story. Because if you have eight episodes, you can, you can flesh it out better. Yeah, it seems like you're drawn to films that are a bit more of a character study because you mentioned Raging Bull and I, I don't know if you mentioned Taxi Driver and, yeah. and also TV shows, like you said, they have a lot of time to devote to developing a character. Whereas with a, a movie that's 90 minutes long, you get yeah. a couple of car chases and it's over. Yeah. yeah, you know what films I loved in the last, when you go like the last 10, 15 years, I loved There Will Be Blood with, with Daniel Day-Lewis. I I yeah, there's some fantastic movies. I love, yeah, yeah. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not all of this. You know, I love okay. Boogie Nights. I love Boogie Nights, but I didn't like... Right. Magnolia was okay, but then I think The Master was uh -huh. bad. You know, so... Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I didn't... Like, yeah. They were like too artificial for me, you know. Uh, uh, licorice Pizza right, was right. good. I like Licorice Pizza. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it yeah. was kind of like more a comedy, you know, so, and it was a uh, lighter, but I think it, it, it was good. Mm -hmm. Now he's shooting a film with Leonardo DiCaprio. Let's see what that would be. And, uh, but there would be blood was an absolute masterpiece. And I loved it. And Boogie Nights too. And, um, so, and I loved, for example, also, uh, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street from Scorsese with DiCaprio. The yep. broker, the, the, I loved that film. That was great. Totally Overdrive. And I loved recently Babylon from, uh, um, with Brad Pitt. Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle. I didn't expect anything from yep. the film. I was like watching TV and I like, oh, they have Babylon now. So let's watch it. So I watched Babylon. And I loved it because it was for me a little like Wolf of Wall Street in the silent movie time where it was so overdrive and so crazy. You know, I mean, it was super. I was laughing my ass off a lot of times. Yeah, especially those scenes at the beginning where they show you the silent movie era and the studios they've built. I mean, that was just insane. Yeah, and I did the first the first sound film they shot, right? Where the guy died. Yeah, that scene is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that and it, But it was this kind of like the times I, I loved, you know, where the film industry was not like an algorithm like now, where it's more, where it was more like uh, one or two crazy people determined what was going on. And they didn't really care, right? So there was a big, a big freedom for filmmakers because the real producers of studios, they were not really controlling what they were shooting. They just wanted product as cheap as possible with the biggest stars as possible. It had to whatever so that they can fill the screens. There was no TV. 
everybody run to the movies uh, every week, you know, uh, that you have maybe in, in countries like India still, uh, where a lot of people have no TV, but now where they have all cell phones in India, the, the movie, the box office goes down too. But it's where, where you went even to movie theaters to get warmed up in winter. And uh, so, and I, I, I love that film. Um, it, it totally entertained me. And it was just great. And all the actors were insanely good. All the actors were very good. Yeah, I think a lot of filmmakers really appreciate that film. It's a filmmaker's film, right? Totally. Kind of like a love letter to that period of filmmaking. Yeah. And you know what, what happened? You know why I watched it in the movie, in the movies? Because of Amsterdam. So Amsterdam, the film with Christian Bale, with Margot Robbie, uh, what played in the I haven't movie. seen it. But it yeah. was two weeks that came out two weeks before Babylon. And I hated it. Mm. And it was shit. It was totally boring. And then I didn't. Two weeks later comes the next film with Margot Robbie, right? And I was done. So that was the reason I never went to Babylon to the movies because in the movie theater, because I felt like, fuck it. I'm not watching the same shit again as I watched in Amsterdam. So whatever. So I never watched it. And then like four years later now, four years, five years, whenever it was, three or four years. And uh, I'm happy that I catched it. I think it was also on Disney Plus, I think. Yeah. But they lost a lot of money with the film because when you see the film, you see how big that film was. I mean, there was a big, big tentpole movie thing what tanked totally. As so many films about filmmaking, right? Okay, let's go back to your yeah. path. Yeah. Um, we talked about your kind of humble beginnings in Germany, but once you started, you didn't stop. Not only that, you actually ramped up. You went across the pond to the US, or was it Canada first? Uh, I'm not sure. It was um, America. It was-, it was America. How did you manage that pretty incredible jump? to do the uh, bridge fast after German Fred movie the UFA in Germany gave us money to do partial uh, a political film so small budget 150,000 so we did that film then Frank and I in a way split up and with the last money we had we did I did Amok Run like Amok Love like a very dark serial murder thing and then I got hired by a Talmus film in Wiesbaden a production company so I was the assistant of the CEO of the company that brought me into the real TV business, film business, whatever. And I saw there are like a lot of German money goes to Hollywood and whatsoever. And I always wanted to do more American films, Hollywood films. So then I was able with investors to raise around three, 4 million bucks, like the, uh, as a private investment. And I only got that done because I worked at Towners Film, what was a real studio. So I, I was believable that I can make a film, you know, like this kind of thing. And then I went to Los Angeles, first time in my life. I was already 26, whatever. I don't know how old I was at that point, but I was, I was already a little older. I went the first time to LA and they, because the investors told me, you need to get some actors, you need a distribution, then we give you the money. So, and I went there and met like various actors by, by luck also in the, in the restaurant. I met Mickey Rook, but I couldn't make a deal with him. I met Jean-Claude Van Damme, couldn't make a deal with him. So, and then I met <laughs> Regent Entertainment. They did a lot of this $2 million films, basically. And they got them Michael Paré, Caspar Van Dien, uh, Eric Roberts. And we, and they said, we're not shooting in, in Los Angeles. We will shoot in, Vancouver in Canada, because whatever you shoot there, you get 35% back, like subsidies, basically, right? And that was very... From the Canadian government or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, and the Canadian dollar was very low. So you had also a benefit because whatever in LA, a gaffer, electrician, let's say gets 300 bucks a day, 300 US. In Canada, they got 300 Canadian, what was like... 200 US. So now you got the people cheaper, plus you got the rebate. So you get out of 3 million, a five, six million dollar film, basically. Mm, interesting. So, and that is why we shot. So you get more, more bang for your buck. Yes. You know, so, and you can spend if you want. Look, you have two options. You, you get, let's say you spend 3 million and you get a million back from a government, right? And you pay it back to the investors. 
or you bank the one million and spend an additional, and so you have a four million dollar film, right? So uh, because banks would cash flow this tax rebate there, uh, and that then film by film we decided, okay, let's put that money additional in the in the post production, computer effects, whatever, music, or we pay it back to the investors. So and then I grow that investor business in Germany with more investors. We offered more kind of uh, uh, like also bigger returns when I moved into this video game based films, House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark. That happened only because I was looking for, uh, not because I'm a big video gamer, it really happened only because I saw a market where you can make more money. You can make bigger films and sell to bigger companies because they will be, of course, interested in House of the Dead because it's a Sega video mm. game, what is worldwide known. So that was the thing what brought me into that video game world, basically. Interesting. So like you mentioned, in the early 2000s, you start making these movies based on video games, House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain. And these movies are not very popular with the critics. I believe Alone in the Dark was called one of the worst movies of all time, which is in and on itself a completely absurd statement. What do you think? Do you think hap what happened was that because one of your movies got a really bad review from the get-go, then people just couldn't wait to tear up the next one in the same manner, and it was just kind of a snowball type of reaction? You know, like in high school, if you start off with a really bad grade, then you're always a D student in the teacher's eyes. Yeah, and exactly that happened to me, 100%. I think the films from before... After Sanctimony, I did Black Woods, then I did Heart of America, which is a very good film, actually. And uh, then I did House of the Dead. But the House of the Dead was the first film with a theatrical release. The first film what was in U.S. in thousands of movie theaters. And that means all the reviewers watched it. So that was the first film from Overball they ever recognized. And they hated it. But I mean, I'm not really expected from a zombie movie based on a video game that I get like in the New York Times, <laughs> an article that I'm the new Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so I was not expecting right, right. reviews, but I was also not expecting so much hate, you know? And yeah. they treated me from the beginning on like a total outsider in Hollywood and a total like uh, like an enemy, the German Nazi enemy. I don't know, but they really, they really, uh, <laughs> I don't know, about it, but they really treated me like this. and And... Then, because I kept doing that video game-based films, they completely lost their shit on me. I mean, you cannot say it different, you know? It's always funny when the last four or five years when people discuss with me, oh, they hate, you know, they're getting canceled, whatever. I said, look, all of this is all my career. So nobody can cancel over ball because I got canceled 2002 with House of the Dead and it never stopped. So it's, it's like, it's like a kind of at one point you just give a shit, right? You cannot handle it anymore. Uh, it makes you only mad. And you also, I had to focus on making films. So, um, but it was really like exactly how you said. It's like the teacher who had a bad opinion about you who thinks you cannot really pull it off, will not see a film when you actually pulled it off, right? So they they overlooked later, I think, all my good films because they didn't have theatrical releases anymore. So they stopped watching my films after In the Name of the King, you know, and then they didn't recognize whatever, Rampage, Darfur, South of Wall Street, you know, like films, they are like plainly good. Like, and some are actually, I think, really good. And that is the thing. And and that is the that, that is the problem. If you do like take Paul Thomas Anderson or Terrence Malick or get people like this, they did the first film and it was a mega success with the with the critics. So they getting a lot of credits moving forward. You know, they're getting not so harshly bashed, whatever, as somebody who starts on the wrong foot with them. So, and I think that is, uh, uh, it's sad because it, it rigs the system a little uh, in a disadvantage for people that maybe have a slow start or they maybe have uh, the wrong films to start with, you know. So, um, mm, yeah. and 
yeah, so that that is, I think, just um, how it how it played out. But without all that video game based films, I wouldn't had a career. I mean, I wouldn't. I would made a few films and would maybe do now German daily soaps. I don't know. So I really. <laughs> how do you assess? How do you assess that period of your filmmaking, like films such I mean, as Houses, House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain? Etc. No, I mean they are they are like. Well, I think what what the video gamers hated in my case was that they didn't uh, saw me as the total freak in you know that they know I was not totally into video games myself and was not were not was not playing uh. eight hours a day video games. So that is where the gamers hate you already because you're not one of them. In a way, you know, I'm not a fanboy of uh, you know like I know there are some great games and. Um, but also video game based movies at that time were like nothing. They were not like comic book films. They they always got Superman, Batman, whatever. Like they were already big films, big franchises. But video games, what was done before me, like Wing Commander, uh, you know, like uh, Street Fighter, some smaller kind of low budget films at that point. And uh, and then I was the first guy coming in and do like strategically film after film after film based on video games. They were like, "What the fuck? Like, what's what what is happening here?" And 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 as you see, the studios reacted in a way because then the bigger studio films came: Prince of Serbia, World of Warcraft. They all came uh, in a way after me, Resident Evil. So um, and I I don't think that films were great, but I don't think that films were. Uh, horrible and or, or really bad films you know like if you watch blood right now i think it holds very much up and it's more gory as most of the other uh, films done like on, based on video games alone in the dark cgi looks good the actors tara reed was not so good and uh it's just a simple genre uh film right you know, with a lot of action. Kind of fun, fun, entertaining flicks yes, that are deviating from the source material of the video games, which people resented, especially gamers. And I think, I think video, I think House of the Dead was actually, I mean, it was cheesy on purpose, but it had some unbelievable shots. It had some like the Matrix rig set up with like turntable cameras. We had like crazy action scenes in, in House of the Dead. And I think they still work very well, you know. And when you when you also see it now, look at the last five six years. How many films totally bombed in the movie theaters? Like hundreds and hundreds of films made no box office. And yeah. House of the Dead did eleven million in the U.S. And they're like, oh, what a disaster, you know. And uh, I mean, look at the numbers now. That would be not a disaster. That would be actually a very solid box office for a $7 million zombie film, you know? And they all counted, like, Alone is Dark did 5.9 million in the US. And they're also like, what a disaster. Yeah, okay, that was way less as we wanted, of course. But also in comparison to today's time, so what? You know, all that films made 10, 20 million in DVD sales. So, I mean, they were very strong on DVD. Blood Rain was one of the strongest titles in Germany of all times, you know. And uh, In the Name of the King with Jason Stessem sold also around the globe, like millions and millions of DVDs. So it's always when they, a lot of the film critics, I think, also have no clue from the actually, the, like the revenue business. Like what comes back if you make a film and from what sources. And the reality is, Theatre revenues are barely covering the costs to put a film in the theatre. Like, uh, it, you know, like, so last year, you can say only Barbie Oppenheimer, Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario, and uh, Avatar made any money. Everything else lost money because they spent more to releases, release it as, the, as money came in. You know, I think also some reviewers are not aware that the movie theater are getting half of the revenues. When they say, oh, the film made $100 million box office, okay, means $50 million back to the studio. So, and not $100 million back to the studio. And the, the profit margins are way higher 
in the DVD uh, market and, and uh, rental market also. That is all gone now because of the streamers, what is very, very bad for the industry. But uh, we made, in the beginning, we sold, I think they sold to retail for like 10.99 DVDs and retail sold it for 14.99. So it was 10 bucks per DVD and it was only a $1 to make that DVD. So there was the money. If you sell a million DVDs, you, you have $9 million like back. And I mean, that was the money in the whole film industry. And, and I think that is now in a devastating disaster situation with the streamers. Because the streamers only pay money based on you have superstars, whatever, you know, like, like they, or you produce something for the streamer. But if you sell a film to the streamers, you cannot make nearly, like you cannot even make 10% of what you made with DVDs and Blu-rays uh, 10 years ago. Uwe, I have to ask you this. How did you develop such thick skin if the critics were as vicious with me as they were with you. I would have cried myself to sleep. I would cry into, into my pillow every night going to bed. And I would also leave the filmmaking industry faster than you can say biscuit. Were you always that way? I see it more like this. When I grew up, I, I grew up with not a lot of money and I always had to like save money and work for it for a university, whatever. I worked at the chemical industry uh, by a Leverkusen where my father worked. I worked at Mannesmann in the steel industry to, to make money. So I know what hard work means. And uh, for me, it was always a pleasure that I made it, that I actually make films coming from the little shit town by Leverkusen, you know, and you think like, okay, I cannot now get all like crying and whiny because critics don't hate me. What is if critics would love me, but I would never make a film again? So what would I pick? You know, then I pick like they all hate me, but I can't keep making films. So, and I think that helped me. You know, it was not that it didn't have an effect. Of course it has an effect. But it's also this kind of way you think, no, uh, I don't let myself getting so down, you know, like so like pushed down and believe in the end, I'm a total loser. Um, that that didn't succeed it, basically, right? But of course, you're happy about any half-ass positive review, you know, where people mm. uh, say, oh, actually, I like that film, whatever. It's, uh, it's of course, uh, dogs barking again. I think now a package comes, DHL package or whatever. So... <laughs> no problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... and uh, I hope my wife opens the door. But uh, uh, I think that is the thing, you know. It's this kind of like, um, if you remind yourself where you come from, then you, it's easier to handle things like this because you feel already, in a way, blessed, right? You feel like, wow, I'm actually making films here. I'm on set with Christian Slater. You know, and uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, you never you never thought about that 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 would actually happen um, on this scale. Uh, so and that made me happy. Yeah. Now speaking of critics, we also have to mention the legendary raging ball period, right? Before any of these YouTube muppets that are doing it now, such as Jake Paul. Yeah. Uh, in 2006 already, you challenged some of your fiercest critics to a boxing match, and I believe you also easily defeated them all. Can you walk us through what led you to this original idea? Uh, yeah, that was really because when Blood Rain came, the the reviews were the same, like Alone in the Dark or House of the Dead, and I felt these are totally different films. I mean, why? What the fuck? I mean, what should I make? Why is Blood Rain not better as Underworld or whatever? You know, like, I mean, uh, uh, because I felt it was better. So and that was the thing. It was like, and I had really big stars in Blood Rain. I don't think there was a bigger cast on any video game-based film, you know, as, as in Blood Rain at that time. Ben Kingsley, uh, 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 Cristiano Loco, Michelle Rodriguez, Billy Zane, Geraldine Chaplin, Meat Love. So, and then I felt, okay, guys, if you want to destroy me, destroy me in the ring. Let's fight. Let's do a real fight. So I did that. that Respect. 
yeah, so exactly. And then I, I, you will see how reality will hit you, right? In, in form of my fists. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was oh like... Uh, when, Chad. Yeah. yeah. When I, when I, uh, I played handball always, and, and my father was actually German, uh, but by Leverkusen, they were German champions in handball. So I come from a handball family. But then when I was like 16, 17, I went to boxing additional, uh, and, and, and boxed for like 12, 13 years and really tr boxed like in a real top club. You know, we had Darius Michalczewski, who was later the Tiger, like the uh, world champion in professional boxing, or uh, um, Felix Sturm, who was later also world champion. So we had very good trainers, very good, uh, let's say, sparrings and so on. So I know I cannot like get easy defeated by people they never boxed. So it was clear for me that I'm not in the big <laughs> risk that I get totally destroyed by four film critics. <laughs> you know. So that was also the reason I felt okay. Let's do four four guys. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, do it in one night, like boxing four guys uh, in a row. Uh, yeah, just mash up all of them in the same evening. Yeah. And I, the thing was also like, I didn't really know how they were looking like. That was different to what you normally, you know, how tall they are, how heavy they are. I didn't really care. So they applied and then uh, uh, they wrote negative things about me. What was the main point for the application? And then we said, okay, you guys come up to Vancouver. And then we do a whole night of real <laughs> fighting. Uh, had a big arena. There were a thousand people came. Uh, and paid money to see that. And it was it, it was like, so I prepped because I was like, I don't want to lose. So I want to make sure I have also the cardio, the condition to beat four people up. Yeah, because it costs, <laughs> it, it, costs, uh, it costs energy to beat four people up if they can box or not. It's like, so it's not so easy uh, to knock them down. So, and uh, so that is what we did. And I really talk to them later, and I think most of them uh, turned more friendly to me after, in a way. And uh, <laughs> some directors, like Ron Howard, he, was, he said about it, he said, I wished sometimes I could do this. And uh, uh, Right, of course, yeah, who doesn't? Directors have disappointing past with some critics, right? So, and... Uh, yeah, but that was basically uh, it. And then, of course, everybody came. Can you come to our film festival and box? And I did another boxing fight in Spain. I did another boxing fight in Texas. Uh, but then I said, so now it's enough. Like I said, that, that it's not the point now that I'm like what you just said, like a influencer going. Uh, uh, with my, I want to go with my films to a film festival and not an invitation no. because I'm boxing people. So... Uh, yeah, but that was also kind of similar to the video game films, also pre-YouTube pre influencer time. Uh, I did exactly yeah. that, what they're doing now, right? With all that celebrity matches and all the, the stuff they're doing. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it was for me, it was fun. It was kind of satisfying and I don't regret it at all. You lived the fantasy of everyone who was who was ever done injustice to by a critic um, be honest did you feel like a like a mike tyson in there when you're knocking the, knocking these guys about a little bit <laughs> yeah no i cannot compare myself i've actually met mike tyson right i mean uh, maybe some sort of photo uh, i met him in a film festival in kazakhstan and uh, there he was already oh, wow. tired and he was a vegetarian right so uh, he turned total vegetarian when he was in jail. And uh, it was amazing to see that his height is like my height, you know? And you think that guy like killed everybody in the ring. I still think when he was yeah, on yeah. Peak, he would, uh, everybody who's right now world champion would have no chance against him, no chance. And he told me, like I asked him about it and I said, look, why you were boxing bigger guys, taller guys, heavier guys, but you always had the hard hand in. Like, this guy's went down. Like, And he said he had two assets. He said he really could see their hands. Like, he had very good reactions, right? He could see the hands so that he didn't get exactly hit on a knockout point or whatever, that he get only hit here. But then, And he was very accurate 
And he said he had the same power left or right. And not a lot of people have that, right? That he was always standing like a pit bull in front of the people. He was not really like Muhammad Ali or everybody with the left jab and then comes with a hard hand. He was just standing right there. And he knows whatever, if I, if I get him with the left or the right, it lights out. And that is what he did, right? So he was standing so stable. And that is why I loved him uh, on his peak. He was absolutely undefeatable. It was unbelievable. We'll never forget that. Yeah. Uh, and Terrifying. Yeah. Also, when he, when he entered and when he entered the ring, you yeah. know, his song, usually people have like a, a song. Um, I don't know what, that, what that's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, entrance song, I believe it's called. Yeah. And he just had like one note. It was so yes. scary and like, um, terrifying. Yeah, like dun, dun, dun. yeah, just like bird, like some sort of humming, you know. And uh, I, uh, never forget when, when HBO went out of boxing, what was the biggest mistake HBO ever did? Uh, the last HBO boxing, they showed like highlights of like 40 years, 50 years, Ali Frazier, right? And you can say from the, uh, and Tyson took three minutes of the 20 minutes, you know, they, and they, all, everybody from HBO said, and then he came. Like when he entered heavyweight thing, uh, uh, it was like only comparable to, to like Muhammad Ali. I mean, I think they're definitely the two most famous fighters in the history of this sport is Muhammad Ali And, and Mike Tyson, I, I mean, you have maybe Floyd Mayweather make, made more money and was more successful, but it's different. That was history, what you were watching, right? So where you say like that will never happen again. And, and that is what, what I, exactly. I loved. And I loved my time with him. We talked for hours and hours because I was at that festival with Max Schmeling, with my boxing film about Max Schmeling. And of course, he knew everything about boxing history. So he watched the whole film with me side by side in the movie theater. And then the next day was the Mike Tyson doku about him. And I watched the whole thing with him, right? So, and, uh, and that was, was, was a great experience for me as a box fan. And especially if you see like a guy of my size, like one meter 76 killed the two meters guys in the ring. They had no chance. They were like dead. Unbelievable, you know, so. Oh, yeah, that is boxing. I love boxing so all much. Right. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm following right, right. boxing worldwide always. Yeah. You mentioned Christian Slater already. <clears throat> and you worked with some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Actors such as Ben Kingsley, Jason Statham, Burt Reynolds, J.K. Simmons, who later won an Oscar and many more. What's it like hanging out with these people? What's Hollywood like? Yeah, I can, I was never living in Hollywood, right? So I just like uh, got actors from there or sold films there. So my, I don't personally like Los Angeles. I was the longest I was there was four weeks at that time before I made my first film where I tried to get actors. But later I always like a week and I'm gone. So I'm not living the Hollywood life. I never did it. And I don't have a lot of Hollywood friends. But uh, when you shoot a film, of course, you go for dinner with them. You meet them also private during the time you shoot a film. And uh, I have to say, um, some of them were not this kind of like, uh, I want to hang out every day with, you know, so where you just feel like uh, it's politics because you don't want to Uh, shoot a film and you you always try to be friends with your actors you always want that they support you that you support them and that they, you have a good relationship with them even if they're maybe intellectual not necessarily so bright or you know like knowing so much they are, they are actors they're playing their parts you know Ben Kingsley is not Gandhi yeah so and I had a good dinner with him <laughs> at an Indian restaurant uh, um, and then then We shot the film and I never talked to him again, you know. So Ron Perman, I saw after King for the Blood Rain premiere. He came with me to the Blood Rain film premiere. And um, Jason Stessem, I had another dinner with in uh, uh, when he shot another film. And it was in Vancouver. We had a dinner together and, and talked. So, But then normally 
actors are like they're moving on. You don't stay long friends with an actor, uh, especially if it's a busy actor, if it's a successful actor. You know, they are like for a time they uh, they stay in contact with you and then it dissolves. And then only the unsuccessful actors, <laughs> they stay on you because they want to get hired for your next film, right? They keep emailing you. What are you doing? Oh, are you shooting another film? Is that part for me? But the actors you want again, like Jason Statham, whatever, like they, they, are, they are not like responding anymore. <laughs> uh, Uwe, I also have to tell you, I just remembered that your some of your rants from that time are so good. They're literally an art form. Whenever I have a bad day or I'm pissed off, I'm going <laughs> to sometimes watch one of them and just be amazed at how you weren't taking any prisoners You just went like straight for the juggler, which is how it's supposed to be done. Uh, it's just marvelous to watch. And some people actually did respond. Some of the big names that you mentioned, like Michael Bay wasn't that happy. I think he was quite triggered at the time. You two seemed like Tupac and Biggie of the filmmaking business or something. Did you later ever bump into anyone who demanded an apology or something? No. No, I mean, I didn't apologize to anybody, but uh, because I meant nice. it, I said about it. It's not like Michael Bay didn't make some <laughs> good films, but I just think he had so much, he had always so much money and all the big stars. And for this, he came out flat. Most of the films are kind of just flat, entertaining. They're not like Goodfellas or, you know, like Scorsese films or Oliver Stone films or Michael Mann films. They're, he never made it to that level to deliver a, um, this kind of big star-driven films uh, where they're like great. You know, I think he made a lot of good films, The Rock or whatever, but he always had all that money and all that actors and he could make more out of it. So, um, but I didn't, I didn't really bounce into people. They said, Ooh, you asshole, you in insulted me or something that, uh, that, that didn't happen. So, But I'm also not diplomatic. And I was, of course, also hurting my career a lot of times that, I, that I'm blunt, right? I say what I think and I'm not like treat people better as me or better as anybody I meet. I'm, I'm not starstruck. You know, I talk on set to Ben Kingsley the same as I talk to my last film, First Shift in New York, to Gino Pesi. But of course, they're totally different actors in a way of success you know Ben Kingsley Oscar winning everybody knows him Gino Pizzi very good actor and but not so known so but I treat them the same and and I think I don't know maybe some people do it different I but I think it's the the best way to to handle actors also you know they have to feel that I'm on that film way longer as they will be on that film You know, I had whatever, prepped it, made it, post-production, distributed, sell it. So, and I have to be the leader doing the film. They have to know, like, I'm the boss, not them or whatever, even if they get way more money as me <laughs> to make the film. But uh, but that is because they are uh, stars. Yeah. Do you think these days the tides are turning a little bit? when it comes to evaluating Uwe Boll's catalog? Because whatever people might think about your movies, you are a total ma maverick in the industry. And I can see that people are appreciating you more and more because of that and because of what you just said. You didn't give a shit. You treat everybody the same. You are blunt. You are honest. Uh, you did an interview for another podcast recently, and a lot of people in the comments said, I'll take Uwe's films over the standard Hollywood crap any day. No, that is that makes me proud, right? I'm happy if that would happen. I'm happy that they uh, reevaluating some of the films. I'm also very happy, for example, how much some films, especially like Postal and Rampage, are really turned into kind of cult films where people talk about and where they say, "I never saw stuff like this ever again after or before." Uh, so, and that that I makes me proud. And in the very end, it, it counts more of what the people think, what the audience thinks, and not what the reviewers think or, you know, or an agent in Hollywood, whatever. Um, film history is always made after the fact, 
you know, so, and that, that I needed time and I did hundred percent, a lot of films that were just maximum entertaining. They were not great films, but I never did, in my opinion, I never did a totally shit film where I would say that is really absolutely unwatchable. Everything what I did was entertaining. Like nobody said, oh, I, I started sleeping in an overball film, right? So, and uh, that I think is, uh, is, is already an accomplishment. And on the other hand, I think with, with some of the films, I made an impact. What now makes people change their opinion? You know, and it's, I see that always when I, for example, ask an actor for a film to play the film, whatever. And as soon I, I send normally a, uh, a streaming link then to the actor if he didn't watch one of my films, right? And I normally uh, send them Dafur and uh, a Sound of Wall Street. And the feedback is every single time uh, very, very good. Like they're very, very impressed. And they said that uh, Solomon Wall Street was better as Wall Street 2, you know. And uh, Dafur, uh, everybody watches it, thinks like, uh, I was crying the whole time. Like at various times where actors told me that. They said they, uh, they said that was uh, a sensational film. Why I never heard about it. Yeah, so, and that is then the welcome in the distribution world, you know. If in Darfur I would have George Clooney, I'm, I bet the same film would got Oscar nominations. Exactly the same film, but just with George Clooney. It didn't have that A-list star what brought that film um, to, a, to a bigger audience. So, but I'm happy if people give it a shot and watch some of the films again, or maybe the first time, I'm, I bet that I could, in the very end, get some good reviews, <laughs> retrospective. <laughs> yeah, if I can return to that story from the beginning when you came to Slovenia with Rampage, I remember that a lot of people in the audience, and me included, most of us actually didn't see any of your films before. But we have heard about your reputation, about, oh, these movies are, you know, so bad, and etc. Yeah. Um, so we expected some sort of an unwatchable disaster to unfold on the screen. And then after we saw Rampage, we were quite, you know, almost a little bit shocked because Rampage was a completely solid, coherent film that actually had a message, actually had something to say. I think you gained quite a few converts that day. People yeah. really liked the movie. Yeah, no, and that was my experience from whatever, when I toured... Uh, I was in Germany on a tour, like sneak preview tour, like in a big multiplex cinema. So they're always like uh, sneak previews. And I went to that screenings. And when the movie started, you had like booze, like, oh God, overboard. And they had also this kind of <laughs> oh, fuck, like rampage. They didn't know the actors, right? So, but after 10, 15 minutes, they were all totally into it. And that was a very like commercial crowd. People they watch normally only Oppenheimer, right? Like they they don't they, you don't have art house of cineast people going in a sneak preview. It's a more party crowd. They want fun, whatever. But not one person out of Rampage ever left. You run a very successful restaurant business, but will you make more movies in the future? What's in store? I shot uh, a film first shift in New York. In March, a pol police uh, drama. I don't know. Did you saw the trailer? I can send you the. Oh uh, uh, no! No, I will send I you didn't. the trailer link. Please do. And um, so that film will come out in the US in June on some movie theater, in some movie theaters, and in Germany too. And we also, I think, sold Eastern Europe. But then the the the, the guy didn't send me a. Uh, a confirmation and the contract, but I hope we can sell various territories. So first shift, uh, very happy about it. And uh, I will shoot in Croatia in April at uh, a film with the oh, nice. Run. And it's, so it plays in Italy, but we're shooting in Croatia because with Boris Velkan, I made the Max Schmeling, Blue Barella and so on through a co-production. And it's basically a film that plays in one day where like a migrant boat from Africa comes onto an island in Italy 
And then the situation goes completely out of control, like a very harsh action film uh, based on everyday's uh, situation in Lampedusa and Italy and whatever, right? So, and uh, it would be very controversial as usual, but uh, I, I think uh, it's, uh, it's a good subject matter um, for like a, I like always to be kind of realistic, you know, where you have a realistic approach to something, what I did in the Southern Wall Street and Rampage, Darfur, they're all films based with uh, uh, a real thing. And then I spin a story around it. And it, the, the migrant issue is something I'm, I'm looking deep into it. I'm not a Nazi and want, want to kill them, right? But what I want to show in the film... I hope not, yeah. Yeah, but, but in, in, in the film, it will be kind of this, right? So where... It, because it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And then you will have people from the population who will try to kill them at one point. You will have a total right-wing turn in Europe. And that is what the, what the film will basically show, place maybe in three, four years. Uh, and uh, it will scare the shit out of all the governments in a way. But at the, I see myself as a filmmaker who... Uh, um, who should do this because nobody else would do a film like this. Right. So, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last question. If you could give any advice to young filmmakers in the era of smartphones, TikToks, and social media in general, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, definitely you have so many possibilities also editing tools, special effect possibilities. Uh, like it was never easier to put your own channel together and start with making maybe short movies or something where you express yourself with your, with the quality. Uh, so like focus on um, printing your own business card with this kind of productions, doing, doing it all yourself. You learn how to make a film at first small films uh, or short films. And then you can enter the real business with this material. You know, like you can say, look what I, what I can do with my cell phone. If you hire me, I can make a TV show, I can whatever. So I think it's now way easier as in my times where you had the, the money to really shoot or to have like when VHS cameras with shitty, com uh, shitty uh, quality. So I think now it's a good time for newcomers and it's also when I talk to people, uh, it's definitely um, time where you can make even on YouTube a lot of money. I know people, they only uh, distributing over YouTube and they recoup 20, 30, 40,000 bucks with films, you know, what they maybe made themselves. So I think YouTube is the best public source of, uh, and the biggest streamer in the world, right? So uh, where you can express. But are you talking? Are you talking about like just random YouTube videos, people dancing or whatever? No. Or are you talking no, about proper films with the story and actors? Yeah, no, no, that is the thing. I know people they shoot films and releasing them only through YouTube, and they recoup hmm. their thirty, forty thousand bucks. And there are also uh, the various film channels they can uh, take take you in, right? You can also self-distribute and post your film on Amazon, on Google Play, VMO, uh, against money. Then you have to advertise it because otherwise nobody will, will pay money for it, right? So, But all of this is possible. So there are distribution possibilities. The question is only what can I do to find an audience? What can I do that people actually uh, like looking for my stuff? And there, I think people are more successful as we see with Logan Paul and all Mr. Beast and all that, if you are a little more like a creator, like an influencer, you know, you, you, you make your channel and you put your stuff on your channel and grow audience. Uh, so, and of course, that is normally not a fiction film that are normally videos from real stuff, yeah. pranks. And, and I hate so, that stuff. Yeah. I think it's really stupid. That is what the kids love. Yeah, YouTube kids crap. Kids watch, but it's also yeah. possible to make real fiction films and uh, real things with actors. 
and release them through various outlets online and recoup some money. If it's a lot, I don't know. But I know people, as I said, they've made 20 to 40,000 euro revenues only with YouTube advertising, right? So no, like you can watch it for free and the advertising uh, is on it. And um, that is not so bad. With If we would could that with German Fried Movie, my first film where we spent 60 grand, would be not so bad, right? Uwe, this conversation was such a delight. Thank you so much for taking the yeah. time. Do you have any social media where people can follow what you're up to these days? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. And let me see here what my... Uh, I'm here. Uh, it's uh, UveBall7, like the number seven, not written out, like UveBall7 yep. is Twitter. UveBall7. Yeah, and I'm also on Instagram. I'm not the biggest... Instagram and Twitter guys, right? So it's it's not like that. I'm really, really uh, doing. You're the, not an influencer yet. Yeah, yeah right. I'm doing that a lot, but uh, but on Instagram, it's Uwe Ball Films. It's like Uber undersigned films. Wait, right? I put it in the chat. Uh, that is me because there are a lot of people also, of course, um, like uh, impersonating me. There are various overballs on Twitter, various overballs on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but only, but only this oh, one. Oh no, it's it's really uh, it's it's really me, right? So, yeah. Uwe Ball identity theft. Uh, no, 100%. Okay. Thanks again, Uwe. This yeah. was a blast. I put that here also in the chat. Oi! Thank you for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and follow on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. As always, eternal glory and gratitude to my producers who are supporting this show on Patreon, the kings and queens, Gordon, Yurechuk, Lorenzo, Veronica, Mila, Carmen, and Taichi. Without you, this pot would not have been possible at all. If you'd like to become a certified Tovarish or Tovarishica of the show too, head to Patreon, find Smart Cookies podcast on there and uh, become one. It's as simple as that. Thank you.